Well, my wife and I were uh, channel surfing a couple days ago, and we came across a show that we used to watch religiously, Extreme Home Makeover. Anybody still watch Extreme Home Makeover? Couldn't believe it was still on. You know, it started in 2004, and we used to watch it all the time, and then we stopped watching it. And then, lo and behold, it's continuing on seven years later. And I'm scratching my head going, why is this show continuing? Because it's the exact same thing every time. You know, same thing. You could run the same thing. You find, they find a family who's just a really neat family, who's doing stuff in the community, who's, they're loving people, and they have a lot of needs, but they're living in this house that's like about to fall down on them. And so Ty Pennington and this crew, they sort of bust in, and they take them on a Disney cruise, and they proceed to, you know, sort of revamp the entire house, tear it to the ground, build it back, and then present it to them. Exact same show again and again. And I don't know why, by the end of the show, I'm always crying again and again and again. Even if it's the exact same thing. So I'm scratching my head going, why does this show continue to be such a popular show? And I think the reason why this show really hits a chord with us is that everybody wants a home. Everybody wants a place where they can belong, where they can be together and live in harmony as a family. And there's this hope somewhere that maybe there's a house out there for us, a special place beyond whatever we could think or imagine. And so I think the, the beauty behind Extreme Home Makeover is it really hits a spiritual chord in our hearts. Intuitively, we understand that this world, even in America, is not as it should be. That there needs to be some place that's beyond where we're at right now. That somehow we need a builder to create a new home because we can't seem to create that home ourselves as best as we can. And I think that somewhere we have a hope, maybe, that sometime somebody will bust into our lives and say, we've got a new home for you, a new hope that we want to give you an honor that you're worthy of, this place that we call heaven, that everybody around the world knows that there's and hopes that there's some place like this, that someone would say to us that there's this place of honor where you can be together. The challenge that we deal with, however, is the question, who is worthy to receive this house of honor? That's the question that we struggle with. And I think that's the question that this book of Hebrews is dealing with. You know, the book of Hebrews was written to a congregation, much like ours, small congregation, in a cosmopolitan city, just like ours, where they realize that God is doing an extreme home makeover in their lives. God has sent a builder whose name is Jesus to take them to a new place. And yet as they look around at their lives, they're beginning to wonder because the house isn't turning out the way that they thought it was going to be. They're being persecuted for their faith. Some of them have lost their homes. They've lost their jobs. They've lost relationships maybe with their family. And they're scratching their head and they're wondering is what was advertised what we're actually receiving. Maybe there's another way. 
Maybe we need to go back to the way things were, trying to find a way to accomplish salvation on our own merits. But the writer in this passage is saying, no, 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 no. Trust Jesus because he is faithful. You are in a house that's under construction, but God will be faithful to the end to bring you to this place of glory that he has promised. This passage, really, when you think about it, is all about faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of Moses in pointing to this builder who had come. It's about the faithfulness in Jesus who is building a new house. But ultimately, the question of this passage is about our faithfulness. Will we be faithful to the one who is faithful to us? Because the key to the door of the house of God lies not with the faith of the person who receives it, but with the Christ who has built it. We're going to look at these three aspects of faithfulness. Number one, Moses' faithfulness. How was he faithful? And what can we learn from Moses? Then number two, we're going to look at Jesus. What was his faithfulness? And what does it mean to us? And then I'm going to call the question about our faithfulness. So first, the faithfulness of Moses. Second, the faithfulness of Jesus. And then third, finally, our faithfulness. Well, let's look at verse 1 here, which can be found in your bulletin. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling. The writer right away is calling them to remember who they are. Therefore, holy brothers. This word holy in the Greek, hagios, means those who have been set apart. Therefore, you congregation who have been set apart, you who are brothers, you who Jesus is making into a family, consider this person Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. He's drawing a parallel between Jesus and Moses. Now, the congregation would understand this because they were familiar with Israelite tradition. Some of them were Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, just like us. And they understood that Moses was the epitome of faithfulness. Remember, Moses was the one who was entrusted with the law. He was the one that God sent up onto, the, on, onto Mount Sinai, 40 days where he spoke with him. Everyone else wasn't allowed to go up. In fact, if they even touched the mountain, they would die. But there was Moses receiving the law, how to live, and bringing it down. And time and time again, as we read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, we see Moses leading the people despite their grumbling and their complaining, even interceding for the people when they would sin, standing in the gap so God would not destroy them. As a result, Jesus, excuse me, God called Moses essentially the paradigm of all prophets. Numbers 12, 6 God says, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I speak with him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. See, there were all the prophets, and then there was Moses. And I think as the people think about Moses, they're tempted to trust in him. That Moses shows the way because Moses was faithful. And if I can just be faithful, maybe I too can merit a place in the house of God. 
But the reality is Moses wasn't faithful, was he? Sure, he was better than most, but at the end of the day, did Moses get to go into the promised land? No, he didn't. If you remember in Numbers 20, Moses, the people are grumbling against Moses, and God says, because they don't have any water, and God says to Moses to speak to the rock, and if you speak to the rock, it will pour forth water, and it will, it will uh, give water to the Israelites and their livestock. But Moses became angry, finally, with the Israelite people. And he said, must I bring water from this rock, you rebels? And he struck the rock with his staff. And sure enough, the water poured out. But immediately thereafter, God spoke to Moses and said, since you were not faithful to the command that I gave you, you will not go into the promised land. You will not be able to see it. Can you imagine Moses who for 40 years wandered in the desert because of the unfaithfulness of those people, climbing on the mountain to look across the Jordan, but not being able to enter because he was disobedient? You see, Moses is not faithful in that he was obedient to the law. If you look at the passage, it tells us how Moses was faithful in verse 5. Now, Moses was faithful to testify to the things that were spoken later. Moses is the paradigm of faithfulness because he, of all people, understood that there was one who would come upon which all of our hopes of salvation would be, this one called Jesus. You see, if Moses was to receive an extreme home makeover based on his merits, he was going to be a failure. I remember it was Christmas Eve, 1988. The last place I thought I would be would be driving into D.C. to buy drugs. I was 17 years old, a new Christian, and I was under the weather. And so I was driving to the store. I remember it was a dark, kind of rainy day, and I was driving to the store to get some cough medicine, 17-year-old new believer. And I saw her on the corner, probably an 18-year-old girl, and it was raining cats and dogs. And my new Christian heart ran out, you know, came out, and I said, I can't just leave this gal out in the rain. So I went ahead and I picked her up, and I, I said, hey, how are you doing? I'm Carlos, can I drive you somewhere? She asked, where are you going? I said, well, I'm going right up the street here to this, this grocery store. And she said, that's great. Will you take me? And so I said, sure. Okay, this, this is going to be easy. I'll just take her to the store. So I go to the store, and I get my cough medicine, and I've said goodbye to her. And as I'm checking out, I see her talking with one of the grocery store clerks. Turns out she knew this guy. And it's very strange. I saw her taking off her necklace which was one of these gold cross necklaces, and giving it to him, and him giving her some money. So I didn't think anything of it. I was going home. I was sick. I told my mom I'd just be out for a couple you know, of minutes. And as I'm walking out the door, she asks if I'll drive her home. Now I'm like, oh, you know, I got to get home, you know. But again, I'm like, well, it's raining. So I say, well, where do you live? And she says, well, I live right on the outskirts of D.C., I was in Falls Church, so it was about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes up the way, so 30 minutes. Oh, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. So as we're driving along, I start to hear her story. Her name was Crystal. Turns out she had had a pretty rough life, I could tell from just her talking about her experience. And we're driving into D.C., and she lets slip that she lives in a hotel in this other area. And I scratch my head, and I say, well, why am I driving 
you here? Where am I driving you to? And she says, you wouldn't like me if I told you. I said, well, what are you talking about? She tells me that she's driving into D.C. to a, uh, a place to, to buy and do drugs with her friends. And I'm, I'm totally blown away here. I'm totally out of my element. I was just going to the store to get some cough medicine, okay? And here I am driving this gal into D.C. to buy drugs. Well, I start... My heart really goes out to her, and I start talking to her about faith and how I've become a Christian, and there's another way to live and to find satisfaction in life. And she pipes up, and she says, oh, I'm a Christian as well. And she starts talking to me about her faith and about going to church and all these sort of things. And that's when I turned to her, and I said, is that why you took off your cross necklace so you could get some money so you could go and buy drugs? And you see her face fell right then because she didn't have an answer. What she believed was in contradiction to how she behaved. So needless to say, I'm still bugging out here. We get to the place I want to get out of here as fast as possible. I don't exactly know what to do. So I basically drop her off. I say one more thing about Christ and I leave. And as I'm racing out of there already a half hour late to go home, almost when I'm home, I look over and there's her money sitting on her chair. She had, had dropped out of her pocket when she had left. She wouldn't have any money to buy drugs that night. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because if we trust in the merits of our belief, it doesn't matter if you're Crystal or it doesn't matter if you're Moses or it doesn't matter if you're me. Because we don't in ourselves merit enough to receive a favored place in the house of God. Sooner or later, we will fail because no one obeys the law. Perhaps you have chosen religion as your answer. I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do my Bible studies. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to do things like this crystal. I'm going to live well. And I'm going to participate. I'm even going to help in church. But the question I have to ask you is, is it enough? Will God at one day walk through that door and say, guess what? You made the cut. I'm going to do something special for you. How will we know? The truth of the matter is the scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But maybe you're sitting in that crowd right now and you feel like you've given up. You're disqualified. There are too many black marks on your record already. There's no way God would have an interest in me, in giving glory to me, in giving a special place of honor to me. Guess what? God doesn't disqualify anybody because God's honor that he bestows is not based on the faithfulness of us, but rather on the faithfulness of another. It's not based on our success. The key to the door of the house of God lies not with the faith of the person who receives the house, but Christ who builds the house. Well, now we've looked at the faithfulness of Moses. I want to look at the faithfulness of Jesus because that's exactly what the author does. In verse 3, we see that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. See, the writer is saying that Jesus is not in the same company as Moses or any of the other enlightened religious people out there. 
Mohammed or Buddha or Gandhi. He's in a class by himself because while all those other people may stand in the house, Jesus stands over the house. In fact, all of the Old Testament has been talking about one who would come who would be over the house, who would be a faithful priest and king. We read about this earlier with Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were corrupt priests, where God comes and he says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a faithful house. But we also see during when Nathan came to David, and if you'll remember in First Chronicles where David wants to build a house for God instead of the tabernacle, he wants to build him a temple. It's God who comes to David and says that I will build my own house using one of your offspring. And it says that I will raise up from your offspring to succeed you, one who will establish my house, and he will build it. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established for all times. See, Jesus is over the house. It's the one who has the ability and commission to build the house is the one who can. See, nobody builds a house while they're in it, do they? They have to leave so the builder can come and build a house. But why is Jesus the one to build this house? Why not someone else? Why not Moses? Why not us? Because Jesus is the only one who was faithful from beginning to end. See, Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought his life. Moses came to show the way to live. But Jesus came to live the way that was shown. All before who have come and to try to live this life of righteousness, to merit this extreme home makeover, have failed. But Jesus has succeeded because he lived the perfect life. He is the only one who is qualified. You know, in all of my years of watching extreme home makeover, I've never seen this. I've never seen Ty bust in with these other people and say, guess what? You've lived a very average, mediocre, boring life. In fact, you're not very good at anything you do. But guess what? We're going to build you a fantastic house because you are average. No, it's always the person that's done the unbelievable thing. They're the one that gets the honor. You see, Jesus turns extreme home makeover on its ear. It's not because of the worthiness of the person that they get the house. It's because of the worthiness of Jesus. It's not because of the compassion of the person or the faithfulness. It's because of the compassion and the faithfulness of Jesus. You see, he earned it. We receive it. He is the one who is capable of giving, of receiving the greater honor because he is the one who gives it. Jesus not only accomplishes what we needed to accomplish, he is the builder as well. Jesus is both benefactor and builder. See, when you think about this house that Jesus is building, what is its foundation? It's Jesus' body on the cross. What are the nails that put together this house? It's the nails that pierced his hands and the spear that pierced his side. 
What is the door that gives us entrance into the house of God? It's the door of his heart, which he opened for you and me. And so we must not put our hope in Moses, and we must not put it in ourselves. Rather, we should look to Jesus Christ and his merits. We should meditate on the cross and assign the glory to the proper place to him. You know, the greatest thing that we can do is to be thankful. I've never seen this in Extreme Home Makeover. You know, when they go ahead and they move the bus, and the people go ahead and they all of a sudden go, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Take it back. We don't deserve this. We don't want it. Now, what do they do? They celebrate. They're thankful. They're jumping up and down because they know that the greatest thing they can do to show appreciation is to enjoy what the builder has done. And that's what God wants us to do. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And so what Jesus wants to do with you and me in our salvation is to seek out the rooms. Never seen anyone say when they go ahead and they get into the main room and then Ty says, hey, do you want to see the rest of the house? They say, no, no, not really. We just want to stay here. No, they go tearing out, don't they, into each of the different places because they want to take in everything that's been done. In fact, they want to see that special house that's been made, that room that's been made just for them. That's what God wants us to do. See, I think for many of us, we're one-room Christians. We just like to stay in that one room, and we never go out and examine the salvation that God has given us. But God calls us in 1 Peter 2, 2, to grow up in our salvation. How do we do that? We open up God's word, which catalogs the treasures that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. We fellowship together. Isn't it great how the family comes in and they go into each room and they celebrate and enjoy what God has done in each one of their lives? That's what fellowship is all about. That's why we're gathered here today. That's why we go to community groups and different houses every week to be joyful and to give thanks to God. And that's why we go to prayer every day to meet God in the house that he is building for us to ask the question again, is this really for me? To hear Jesus say, yes, indeed, it is for you. The key to the door of the house of God lies not with the faith of the person who receives it, but with Christ who builds the house. Well, this passage finishes after talking about Moses' faithfulness and Jesus' faithfulness to calling the question, what about our faithfulness? not in meriting our own salvation, but rather in trusting in the one who is building the house. Look at verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Will we be faithful? You know, I love this passage because it tells us something very important. It says that, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast. See, the house isn't a place. It's not a location. The house is a people. 
God is doing an extreme home makeover in our lives. Because God's ultimate goal is to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. His hope is not to mold us into a new house, but into a new people. If you ever look at the title of Extreme Home Makeover, it's actually Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Because the first Extreme Makeover wasn't a home edition. It was actually, if you play the tape all the way back, they were doing a cosmetic surgery. If you remember this, they were going to take a person and do an extreme makeover of their life. They were going to give them cosmetic surgery. They were going to give them a new wardrobe, new fashion tips, and sort of give them an extreme makeover. And then it morphed into home edition. See, but they could never, in that extreme makeover, deal with the core of the issue of man, his heart. Jesus is doing an extreme makeover in our heart, transforming us from the inside out. All heaven really is, at the end of the day, is a house built and fit for the heavenly occupants of it. But the challenge is, makeovers are messy things, aren't they? Anybody ever done a makeover in their house? Brought a contractor in to change out the kitchen? Or done a new house or maybe built a house from scratch? It's messy. There are wires all over the place. You can't see it. It seems like it's going so slow. And there's temptation after a while to wonder, is this thing ever going to get finished? Does this contractor really know what he's doing? Frankly, some people get so tired, at the end of the day, they fire the contractor. And they say, I'm going to finish this myself, or I'll go find someone else. But the writer is saying that we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so my challenge and exhortation to you is don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on the contractor. He knows what he's doing. You may have lives, walls in your life right now that are getting torn down and the landscaping outside looks awful and you don't know where this pipe goes or this pipe goes and you're tempted to give up, to go back to the way things were. Maybe I can build my own house. Maybe I can establish my own honor. But Jesus Christ is faithful to us to the end and so we must be faithful to what he is doing. Live by faith. Are you discouraged? Trust in Jesus. He will accomplish in you what he has set out to do. And finally, stick together. Stick together. Encourage one another. Look at verse 1. Isn't that exactly what he's doing? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in, his heaven, in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Encourage one another. Consider his tools. Consider what he's doing in my life. Consider in what he's doing in your life. You know, that's my hope at the end of the day for Church of the Redeemer. That this building, this place would be a place of a bunch of people who are under construction, encouraging one another, helping us to remember the faithfulness of our contractor, pointing out what God is doing in our life and doing in your life. 
You know, if you walk out these doors right now, you could go to any house, and what you will find are a bunch of people desperately searching the yellow pages, find, trying to find a contractor who can make over their life. Because intuitively we understand that we can't build the house. There must be someone else. And there is. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we hold faithful to the end, one day, one day, we will look in the mirror and we will see the finished product. People that resemble the one who have crafted us back into the image of God. The key to the door of the house of God lies not with the faith of you or me or Moses or Crystal who receives the house, but only with Christ who builds the house. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage, for this embattled congregation in Hebrews, and we thank you for it for us as you invite us again to consider Jesus, the faithful high priest, the one who is faithful to the end, who gives us a heavenly calling. Lord, help us not to trust in ourselves. Help us not to think that we can do an extreme makeover on ourselves, but to look to Jesus, even when maybe things in our life look to the contrary, when we think that we're the same, that things aren't changing, that God isn't going to be faithful to the end. Help us to remember the lengths to which he went, that he might ransom us to ourselves, to himself, Lord, and that he might shape and transform us into a fit house of God. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.